0: Zach, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, you reached out and said that you were interested in joining, and I was excited and also curious because your Twitter is is using using an alias, which which I always find fascinating when there's a element of, of anonymity, anonymous, uh, anonymousness. I don't I don't know one of those is going to be words. Anonymity, I believe, is the word. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's so it's always interesting because my mind. It's funny. Um, will imagine what the person looks like, and you're not, you don't look like the person I imagine, I don't know who I imagine, but it's good to meet you, you look like a a healthy guy, a fit guy, and I'm excited to learn about what you do to maintain your health and and vitality, Um, we spoke a little bit before this about your practice with, with carnivore eating, and um, that was a primary reason why you joined Twitter, to share more information about that, and I'm eager to jump in and learn more about your journey with that um, today because it seems like a really powerful powerful way of eating, and I'm excited to learn, learn more from you.
1: Oh uh, Yeah, sure, so the, the anonymity thing, uh, basically because I'm new to Twitter and just wanted to kind of dip my toe in the water and, and see what was going on there. Um, I'm not opposed to using my name um, I'm definitely one of the people who who believes if you're if you're being truthful, if you believe in what you're saying, you should put your name behind it. Um, so eventually, I might I might switch that up or add it in there. We'll see. Maybe take some pictures of myself. Um, but yeah, the Carolina vor, Just I I live in North Carolina. I've lived in South Carolina a lot of my life as well. So I thought it was a fun uh, pun. It, initially, it was going to be just Carolina Carnivore. Twitter does not allow that many letters, so uh, came up with Carolina Vore. Had a nice ring to it. Um, so yeah, I joined Twitter to to share the gospel of the carnivore diet, which I started really only about six months ago. Um, so it's sort of a health journey for me. Uh, years ago, I was about 23, about 2007 I think it was, I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis. Um, so it's an autoimmune disorder where your immune system attacks your colon for some unknown reason. Um, although, I used to say it was unknown, now I'm pretty sure I know what it is. Uh, but the doctors tell you it's unknown. And dealt with that for years, was on medications for a long time. Uh, I think I was on fi- I was on my fifth medication um, before I started this diet. So I was on Azacol, that didn't work. Azacol HD, that didn't work. Um, mercaptopurine didn't work, which I think is also a cancer drug. Uh, then I was on Humira, giving myself a shot in my leg once every two weeks, um, which is an immunosuppressant. Um, that worked for a while. Then I started having weird side effects. I was breaking out into hives. If I went out in the sun for too long, yeah, it would just my my arms, neck would just be covered in these bright red bumps. So I quit doing that, and then I'm on was on Entyvio, which is an infusion I had to get once every six six months. I'd sit in a chair for about two hours, and they'd pump me full of this drug, and that was working, um, and doing just fine. But started you know after the whole COVID thing, um, I started kind of rethinking medicine. Uh, So another little bit of background, I'm not sure we didn't talk about this. I I actually was an epidemiologist. Um, I worked for two different state health departments doing disease surveillance. I worked for Maryland and then North Carolina. Um, So I have a background in biology and public health and COVID happened. And so uh, I'm sitting at the health department wondering what the hell's going on around me listening to all these epidemiologists and doctors look at the data and have a completely different conclusion than I'm getting. Right, Everything they were concluding about COVID, which is the mainstream stuff you're, you're seeing on the news, is not what I'm thinking. And so I'm going, well, what the hell is going on here? It just starts this process in my mind where I'm reevaluating everything I thought I knew. Um, it eventually got to be so much, I left the health department. I quit being an epidemiologist. Um, I got a new job. I'm working in health data still, just sort of in a different capacity with a nonprofit. Um, and so it started me down this road. And a friend of mine here in North Carolina, uh, he eats carnivore, and he just started bugging me about it and saying, "Hey, uh, you should get off your medications." It's like, "What are you talking about?" He's like, "Just eat meat." I was like, "What do you mean just eat meat?" You know, like what? He's like, and he starts sending me information. I start doing research on it. I was like, "Okay." He finally convinces me after a while. Like, I'll give this a try. Um, so I start start the diet. I'm eating nothing but meat, eggs, salt, and butter. Um, I mean, I eliminated everything, which was initially pretty difficult because I love to cook. Um, and I love spicy food. You know, I love lots of bold flavors and spices and now I'm salt, just salt. Right. So initially it was pretty rough, but after a couple of weeks you get used to it. And a couple months later I uh, quit my medications, no symptoms. I mean, just, just three months after I started this diet, ulcerative colitis gone. Wow. Um, yeah. So and I, my buddy Anthony, I called him and said, Hey, uh, It works, you know, like, (laughs) you know, and he told me his story. He had had psoriasis and same thing. He started eating carnivore, went away. He struggled with it for years and boom, just switch your diet. And that's all it takes. Uh, That's the short, that's the short and long of it. It's just, it's pretty wild. Um, And it's funny with all my years of background in biology and epidemiology, all the science that I know, it never even occurred to me that what I was putting in my body would be the catalyst for all of these problems. It's like the Western medicine concept of that doesn't matter. Um, You just need to figure out what the symptoms are and then you can get this medication to control the symptoms and you'll be okay. Um, It was just weird how one day I just woke up and was like, man, that doesn't make any sense. Um, (laughs) You know, I mean, I had a doctor, my brother has a couple of stomach problems as well, real mild case of ulcerative colitis. He had his, his GI doctor, his gastrointestinal specialist, told him diet doesn't matter. I mean, this is, this is all they deal with is the gut. Diet doesn't matter.
0: Wow. Yeah. And you, you proved that it, in fact, absolutely does matter. It matters a great deal. I mean, I, I proved it.
1: I started, you know, when I, when I jumped into this, I started looking at, of course, Dr. Sean Baker, Dr. Ken Berry, all these guys who are sort of famous for this. And all their success stories they're constantly pushing out of all their uh, people who follow them. Same thing. I mean, people with far worse issues than I had being completely reversed through diet. And, you know, thinking, why aren't there studies on this? And then, you know, it dawns on me as I'm reading all this information. Well, there's no studies on it because who's making money? You know, no one's making money studying diet. And then if they prove diet works, all they're doing is pulling money out of the pharmaceutical industry. Because everyone's going to stop taking these medications just like I did. So what? why bother so
0: yeah that is that really is the crux of of the issue and man what an inspirational story all those drugs that you went through trying and and all that the pain and and sort of suffering along the way figuring that out all the time and the money and the energy that went into that and you were able to reverse and heal simply by eating meat um, butter eggs just keeping it keeping it simple using salt as, as, a, as a flavoring. I do have, have to have asked one question, pardon my, in, my, my, my ignorance, but what, what does an epidemiologist do and, and how did you become that? How did, how did you earn that title? Um, what led you down that path? So ep- epidemiology, uh, the root
1: word there is epidemic. So it's the study of diseases and how they spread essentially. Um, I, I went to school, uh, University of South Carolina, got my undergraduate degree in biology. Um, i not sure if you're aware, but there's not a whole lot of jobs with an undergraduate degree in biology. Uh, so grad school was sort of in the cards. It was like a, ne- a necessity. Um, knew, knew pretty early on I didn't want to go to medical school, you know, didn't want to go to dental school, anything like that. Briefly considered veterinary school, but then realized I don't like cats. So it was like that was kind of out too. Uh so one of my professors, I was chatting with him my senior year about what, what I should do and epidemiology came up and I thought it sounded really interesting because uh, you're still dealing with health, you're still dealing with disease, but you're not dealing directly with patients. It's more, more data-driven because uh, it's at a population level. So I, I thought that sounded really interesting and just it's like, yeah, I'll give that a shot. So I ended up going to graduate school at Emory University in Atlanta, which is right next door to the CDC. Uh, so... Most of my professors were longtime CDC employees, you know, considered experts in their field. Uh, Supposed to be one of the best spots to get your education. And loved living in Atlanta for those two years. Um, Was pretty into the epi stuff. Ultimately, after graduation, a couple years later, found myself up in Maryland uh, working for the state health department doing uh, disease surveillance, specifically syndromic disease surveillance. So what that is is, worked with a data source which is all uh, hospital emergency department visits. So we would monitor those, all the, all the hospitals in the state, every single day send all the emergency department visits to the health department. And we have some software there that runs really fancy algorithms on it, um, basically asking the question, if we're seeing visits for X symptoms today, is it more than we would have expected based on historical data from the past month or so? Um, and you can create what we call syndromes there, to look for anything you want. So the the easiest example being COVID because that's on everybody's mind still. Um, we're looking at visits to the emergency department for COVID like illness. So people coming in with shortness of breath, fever, the dry cough. Um, that's how it started. Then of course, every symptom under the sun became part of COVID because there were no other diseases besides COVID. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I'm, I'm at the health department doing that. Uh, for Maryland for five years, ended up moving to North Carolina, doing the same job for the state of North Carolina, um, and was there for about six years. So for 11 years, I was in a state health department helping track disease across the state using this data. Um, uh, well, you're in California, but in North Carolina, for the COVID stuff, when, when the governor would get on TV every couple of weeks to give an update on what's going on with COVID, uh, the first graph that the health, the health secretary and the governor would show would be a graph that I generated. So it was kind of cool to see that on the screen. Uh, it would be like my data showing how COVID's going up or down and, and what's going on with those visits. Um, so, you know, all along I thought it was pretty interesting. Um, and I enjoyed the work, like I said, until it was COVID. Um, and then I, you know, we'd have all these internal meetings. I'm presenting the data that I'm looking at and I'm showing a decrease in emergency department visits for COVID-like illness and I'm saying you know this is a really good trend it's gone down five six weeks in a row it looks like we're sort of in a lull maybe things are getting better and then all I would hear from everybody else I worked with was oh yeah but just wait until the next wave two weeks from now or this is this probably isn't real COVID is just the work and it just just non-stop um, with the doom and the gloom um, ignoring you never really stratifying by age, looking at who's truly getting severely sick, who's actually dying from COVID, acting like this is Ebola. You know, I did, just unbelievable to me. Uh, <laughs> and, and hearing them parrot all this stuff that I just didn't agree with. And then once the vaccine came out, that was basically the final straw for me when they started pushing the vaccine uh, after I looked into the clinical trials on it and started doing my due diligence on, on how they were made and seeing there telling, you know, five-year-olds should go get the vaccine. The five-year-olds had no risk from COVID, zero risk from COVID. Um, I still occasionally pull the data off the webpage and crunch the numbers for, for fun um, and calculate the case fatality rates by age group for North Carolina. And if you're under 18, it's literally, I believe, a 99.997 survival rate. So it's, it's 100%, you know. Um, but they want kids to get this shot that has no safety profile, that they know nothing about what the long-term effects are, and they want to pump your kids full of it. I just couldn't take it anymore. So that—that was my epidemiology journey, and now I'm out of public health and much
0: happier. Wow, Manuel, well, props to you for you know your courage in in standing up for what you believe in there, and and, and holding on to the truth as as you as you perceived it to be and as as many of us did unfortunately not not enough people saw the truth there it seemed to be quite evident but there was also a large amount of fear and hysteria that seemed to really really find its way into a lot of people's minds and i don't want to dwell too much on that time you know period to think we all kind of want to move on, on from that but just yeah. <laughs> one one thing I do want to drive home is the, the, the courage that, that, you, that you showed trying to you know, promote the, the truth and the way that you stepped, um, stepped on when, when the lines were, were crossed there. What was that, that moment like deciding to move on? Did you have an idea of what you wanted to do next or was, was it more of a leap of faith and, and what, do you, what do you do now?
1: It was more like anything I could get just to get out of the health department at that time. Um, and I wish I could say I was more courageous. I wish I had spoken up more within the health department and really pushed back on, on uh, the people who were slightly above me. You know, I kept my mouth shut a lot to, to get along a little bit. I think, you know, a lot of us find ourselves in that situation where we're a little frightened to speak up too much because we don't want to create too many waves or create many enemies. Um, you know, early on, again, I don't want to go too far into the COVID rabbit hole, but one more quick story. Um, I think it was late summer 2020. Uh, I'm speaking to the lead respiratory epidemiologist in the health department, and I'm trying to tell her that I think COVID is airborne. You know, at this point, they're still saying COVID is droplet spread, like like influenza. And I'm saying there's just no way it's droplet spread. And look at the how quickly it spreads. Um, that does not happen with droplet. Otherwise, influenza season would, would mirror COVID every year. It's not happening. And then I'm sending her articles and studies I'm seeing that are coming out of places like Korea, where uh, they're tracking cases being um, transferred to people in a restaurant because they're sitting downwind, like the fans are blowing a certain direction, and they figured out that's how the exposure was. And only the person was sitting 30 feet away, and they figured out they got COVID from that other person. That's not droplet spread. And she brushed me off. And she was like, well, what do, you, what do you want me to do about it? I'm like, I don't know. You're the lead respiratory epi. Why don't you go talk to the Secretary of Health? Tell her what, what we think here. And maybe we can change some of our recommendations. We won't have lockdowns. We won't have masks. They're all pointless if this is airborne. And she goes, call the governor if you're upset about it. And this is what they told me. Like I'm, So, <laughs> so that's when I realized that speaking my mind wasn't going to get me anywhere. Uh, that these people were all... I don't for lack of a better term, brainwashed. Maybe it was the fear and paranoia. I, I'm not sure what it was, but. Um, so when I decided to leave, it was really just how can I, what any job I can get, um, which was pretty difficult because my job was so niche, uh, you know, applying to other things. They see my resume and they're like, I don't even know how this applies to what, what we do over here. Um, but I got pretty lucky uh, with the, now I work for the North Carolina Healthcare Association uh, it's a nonprofit, and funny enough, the data stream that I described that I was the end user of analyzing, I'm now on the back end of that, managing it, making sure the data flows from the hospitals to the health department. So I'm still working with the same same kind of stuff, just from the other side of it. Um, when that job opened up, I was like, sweet, just kind of hopped right into it. They they were super happy that I applied. Um, so. I don't want to get too much into that. My job's not very exciting. I don't want to bore everyone. But, yeah, basically I, I'm working on a couple of different data streams. I help manage them. It's all health data um, from hospitals and ambulatory surgery centers and things like that.
0: Awesome. Awesome. And I guess one question I had in my mind is how, how healthy are the people working at the California Health, health I mean the uh, Carolina Health Department? Would you say they're, uh, they're a healthy group of people? Or, or what? what is that demographic like? Say so they're just kind of normal, normal Americans. You know, some of them,
1: some of them are healthy, some of them are not. Um, you know, I don't, one of my good friends at the health department I worked there, she was actually a vegan. Um, she was sick all the time, <laughs> which, I to, and this was way before I started carnivore. But I would, I would give her crap about it like, you know why you're sick all the time, right? It's because you're a vegan. Like, it's not true. <laughs> um, and now, you know, now that I look at it, I'm like, it's definitely because she was a vegan um <laughs> but I, yeah i'd say it was just sort of a normal cross-section of america uh you know no, yeah you'd think you know just like with the health any health industry you'd think doctors and everybody else would be super fit but you, you go to your doctor and you look at them and you're like all right um, <laughs> i guess you don't take your own advice you know
0: yeah yeah it is it is wild how we define health in this country as like the absence of disease where if you're not actively like suffering from disease you're healthy but there's like this whole this whole spectrum of of vitality that can be experienced and 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 achieved from you know the state of just like not not suffering which yeah it's it's interesting and um now that you have escaped that that challenge in life you moved on to To something new and and you are accessing that higher vitality in life escaping from sounds like a at least a decade of of drug use for ulcerative colitis from something that you were told there's no cure for that can ever be healed and you've healed it from great advice from from the same sort of voices that large industries would want to silence in a similar way to what we were talking about with the um, epidemic and, and, and pandemic that we experience. You know, voices that are trying to share the truth, trying to speak up about what is right and what works. And you're, you're listening to those voices now and experiencing a profound healing. Would you like to talk a little bit more about that journey?
1: Um, well, you know, I guess the dissenting voices thing. Uh, I've sort of always listened to those. Uh, you know, growing up, my dad's always been a very, I like, guess, on the political spectrum, incredibly conservative, which. Um, he, was, he was always very promoting of, of free thinking and doing your own research and making up your own mind. That was instilled in me at a very young age. Um, so, um, yeah, I was always looking for those types of voices. And so once I decided, once I made the conscious decision, I want to get off these drugs and started doing my own research. Um, it, it didn't. It wasn't hard for me to find the people who I who I knew I should listen to. Um, you know, and how that tied in with the greater. Vitality you speak of actually interestingly enough the the first time i ever heard about carnivore diet was dr jordan peterson um i'm sure you're familiar with him um you know the clinical psychologist of he's quite famous these days but uh, you know i know him and his daughter uh ate this diet and healed all their health issues and i remember thinking at the time years ago when i heard that like well that seems like crazy eating only steak that must be like, you probably got to be rich to eat only steak uh and I'm a big Jordan Peterson fan and have been for years. Uh, and he's helped me through some of the hardest times of my life. His lectures and, and books and things have been really, really helpful for me. Um, and so that was probably the first voice I heard on it. And uh, and then stumbled across, you know, I guess Ken Barry maybe was the first YouTube video I watched on Carnivore. And like I said, Sean Baker. And then I, I ended up listening to... Uh, Anthony Chafee. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. But he's now sort of... I like to. I tell people he's like my carnivore guru. I just find the way he distills information and and expresses it uh, to be really, really thorough but simple all at the same time. And he gets the message across really well while simultaneously being like 6'4", 250. Um, and he's about 42 years old or something. And it looks like he's 25. So, you know, I was like, okay, this is the guy right here. Like, this is... <laughs> This is what I want to strive to be. I mean, I can never be 6'4", but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, it's, I don't know, the whole vitality thing just sort of, the last six months has sort of exploded for me because besides getting rid of the medications, I started getting all these other health benefits from, from eating this way. So I, I, my ulcerative colitis goes away. I don't have that problem anymore, but I also have, I have more energy. I'm not using caffeine anymore. It's not necessary. Um, I'm sleeping a little better now these days. Uh, I go to the gym four or five days a week. I go to a kickboxing gym called Nine Round. It's just a it's a chain, but it's like a high interval high interval intensity training, you know, 30 minute workout where you do some weightlifting, do some kickboxing. I started that in 20, what, three years ago now, so 2019 I think I started going there. Uh, but I go four or five days a week. When I started carnivore, the soreness uh, pretty much disappeared. So, my recovery time is so much faster now. I'm not getting muscle knots like I used to. I don't need to use the foam roller three, four days a week to help myself out. Um, I'm in sort of a better mood all the time. Like it's just it's just bizarre how many things have changed since I changed my diet. Uh, so all that coupled with, you know I mentioned Jordan Peterson, and I like to listen to stuff like him and and try and learn how I can better myself in other ways. Um, and that's moved on to me. Sort of getting back into a little bit of spirituality, and uh, I'm, I'm a Jew, and so now I've started sort of getting back into religion. I've been listening to podcasts on Kabbalah, and studying more about that, and sort of trying to use that to improve myself. And it's just been kind of a like a, almost a snowball effect. Like you get one, you know, I tell people now everything in life is a feedback loop, um, whether it's negative or positive. So before, you know, I, I was drinking, you know, I wasn't like an alcoholic, but I drank alcohol. I ate your standard American diet you become lazy, you know, you don't go to the gym, and every, it just cycles back around, and you, you just become lazier and lazier and lazier, and now it's just the opposite direction. Now I'm, I'm exercising more, I'm trying to learn more, I'm, you know, in a better mood, and it all just keeps going the opposite direction, so I think it's uh, pretty interesting, though, that, again, the catalyst was eating meat, you know, like a... <laughs> how much it can change your life
0: yeah it is it is really interesting and this is actually a deeper deeper story than i thought a a more powerful story of of ascension and and self-actualization there's so much more to this and a lot of it is stemming from having higher quality nutrition how how long has has this um been going on when did you start eating carnivore april 1st of this year april 1st okay and were you Uh, metabolically flexible before that had you experimented or or tried any sort of ketogenic diet or fasting or you know accessing your um, ketones prior to that or or was that sort of your first um, go with it
1: pretty much my first uh, go with it my one time I tried a no-carb diet uh, when I got off the Humera. I wanted to see if I could change my diet and that could help out you know my condition and so I went no car, but I was still eating a lot of vegetables. So I would eat meat, but I would also continue eating, uh, you know, peppers and onions and, and everything else that I liked along with it. And after about a month or two, yeah, I had a massive ulcerative colitis flare-up. So I was like, oh, well, that didn't work. Um, never occurred to me at the time that it, it could have been the vegetables. I just thought, oh, well, maybe the diet thing's not really for me. It's not going to work. I'll just have to get on this other medication. Um, so that was really the only time in my life I'd ever actually experimented with any kind of diet. Prior to that, it was just whatever I thought tasted good and was in front of me. You know, I was going to eat it. Um, and, it's, you know, it's funny looking back on it now. Even three, three, four years ago, you know, I probably weighed 190, 200, maybe close to 200 pounds. Um, and then when I started Carnivore, just based on exercise, because I, I had been going to the gym a whole lot, I was around 175. Uh, now I'm 155. I dropped 20 pounds, um, that I didn't realize I had to lose, um, over that, like, the first three or four months of carnivore. Um, so it's, it's been pretty bizarre. It's been quite the transformation. Um, looking back at pictures of myself now, I'm just like, wow, I look like a completely different person. Um, you know, I'm 38 years old and for the first time in my life I have visible abs. You know, that's kind of neat. <laughs> so, um yeah it's it's pretty it's been pretty weird. Um I never thought I could have a twenty eight inch waist. Uh, I guess I have kind of a small frame, but uh, now now my goal is I'm trying to figure out ways to put on some muscle because uh, i am I'm am very lean and i'm I'm fit, but
0: i want I want to put on a little bit of mass. Wow, and it's only been six months of this way of eating and you've already experienced the kind of benefits and and the portfolio of benefits that some people have struggled. For years and years, for to to achieve the what you've achieved in a matter of six months from a really simple approach, how did you set that up? What what did the day-to-day look like when when you first started versus now, and um, how was that transition process um, over to to eating um, with with this new eating pattern? I
1: mean, it hasn't changed much since I started. I mean, the, the first step really is just go go through your kitchen to your pantry and your fridge and your freezer and just throw everything away uh I mean that was my thing I was like all right if I'm literally going to eat nothing but meat eggs butter and salt I can't have anything in my house that's not meat eggs butter and salt because I'm I'm a human I'm like everybody else I love sugar and carbs and food and if it's around I'm going to eat it right so I went through my pantry and anything that was old, I tossed. Anything that was you know unopened, I gave to my family or friends. I offered it up, said, "Hey, look, I'm not going to eat this anymore. Do you want it? If you don't, I'm going to donate it somewhere." Um, so most everybody took it. So that was the first step, really, just emptying everything out, and then just went to the store and bought you know a bunch of ground meat and eggs. And uh, I did buy Redmond's real salt because I had heard an- enough recommendations that if you're eating only salt, you need to get the good stuff. And did not realize that salt. There's a huge difference in the brands and what, what kind you're going to eat. Uh, I swear by Redmond's real salt now. It's amazing. Uh, but that's how I started, and now it's basically the same. I, I, the only thing that's really changed is I've I've gotten more savvy about uh, price and, and realizing, you know, you can buy things like a like a chuck roast. Uh, oh, and I got a sous vide, which was which was a game changer. Um, so you can take tough cuts like a chuck roast. Put them in the sous vide for about a day. Comes out, sear it, and it, it's like prime rib. Um, you know, that's like five bucks a pound. So I've learned I've learned tricks like that, just slightly different ways to cook things, uh, which cuts of meat are a little more uh, economical. Uh, you know, all these guys you see on Twitter and YouTube, the the Sean Bakers and Anthony Chavies of the world, they eat nothing but ribeyes and New York strips, and they're always taking these pictures of these massive steaks, and it's like that's all well and good, but I. I can't afford that, you know. Um, I would love to eat a ribeye every single night of my life, but just not affordable. Um, you know, just, just that really, realizing ground beef is awesome, you know, don't shy away from eating ground beef, and uh, the fattier the better. The other thing is, is one thing I can tell people if you're going to go carnivore, you have to make sure you're eating the fatty cuts of meat. Uh, if you get ground beef, buy the 70-30 or the 80-20, never get anything less than that. Um, it just, you won't have the energy. I've my girlfriend tried to do carnivore with me. Um, she lasted about five days because she does not like fat. You know, she loves eating a steak, but she'll cut the fat off, you know, and only want to eat the meat. And I was like, you need to eat that. And she's like, but I don't like it. I'm like, you, you need to eat it. The next day she wakes up and she's like, I'm so tired. You know, I'm like, that's what I've been trying to tell you. So it's, uh, <laughs> so that's the thing is, is it there is the focus on fat. Um, which most people probably don't realize, or, or maybe they do. I'm not sure, but I mean that's really, really where I'm at now. Um, I made the switch to farm fresh eggs. Uh, so my buddy Anthony, who I mentioned before, who, who sort of got me on the carnivore diet, he actually has a farm um, up in Salisbury, North Carolina. But he he told me, you know, you need to get some fresh eggs. They're way better for you, and you can just hop on Craigslist and go to like the, the farm and garden section. And type in eggs and you will find somebody who has chickens who will sell you their eggs or will give you give away the eggs because they have so many of them and I did that and found somebody here in Charlotte and now every you know once a month maybe I pick up like 12 dozen eggs and uh, yeah the eggs are fantastic and they, there is a huge difference um, in your store-bought eggs versus that and uh, I have split a cow with my family now as well we found a local farm here, uh, Hawk Valley, Hawk Valley Farms or Hawk Valley Ranch, and we bought a quarter of a cow just to give it a shot. And yeah, hopefully I'll go back there because that again, it's the same kind of thing. Is it the local stuff? One, you want to support them. The regenerative farming, all that stuff is fantastic. But the meat itself too, just tastes so much better. Uh, that ground beef, I made one burger with it and took a bite, and was just like I can't go back to store store bought ground beef. Just can't do it.
0: <laughs> yep. Yeah, some of that. Some of the I was reading recently, or maybe a listening to it. I was listening to a podcast about some of the ground beef that you buy, like at large chains, can be from just like hundreds of different like farms from all across the world. It's, it's all mixed in, and you know who who knows how long that has been sort of in transit. And I'm not saying it's 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 bad. I plenty of store bought ground ground beef and and meat it's just not it's not the same quality getting it from somewhere that's local and um, is raising the meat in a way that is aligned with nature and and with care and with love and that comes through in the eating experience absolutely and i I love what you're saying about eating the fat as as well as that's that's such a big thing everyone it's been so deeply ingrained in the american mindset that fat eating fat will make you fat or that eating fat is bad when in reality is fat is energy even even in us a lot of people look at our own fat cells and and we think oh that's bad like i'm bad for having these fat cells when your body our bodies want those fat cells that's energy that is life-saving energy from an evolutionary angle that will get us we've our evolutionary lineage has has always experienced periods of famine and of fasting, and and we relied on those food stores to to get us through those hard times. And and, and the fat is such a, a dense energy source. And yeah, meat meat, good quality meat is definitely going to be um, including big deposits of, of of fat for sure.
1: Yeah, there's a uh, another guy who's been pretty instrumental in, in all the knowledge I've gained for a carnivore, Dr. Kiltz. Um, and he, I was listening to him on a podcast, and he he was mentioning, you know, that what, what you just said basically that you should be thankful you can put on fat, because uh, when we have a famine, the fattest among us are going to be the ones who live. So don't be uh, don't be too harsh on those folks, uh, <laughs> because that is, a, that is a very good quality to have, the ability to put on fat. Um, you know, which sort of got me worried because now that I eat this way and I got so lean, I'm like, oh man, I have to eat. You know, a lot of these, a lot of carnivore folks they eat one meal a day. You know, they talk about, I only, eat when, I only eat when I'm hungry, and I'm only hungry, you know, once a day. I, I eat a lot, um, especially, you know, if I go to the gym in the morning, and I get home, I'm starving, I make a huge breakfast. And then I might still have lunch early afternoon, and then I have dinner. Like, I, I have to eat a lot, which is interesting. Um, I find that to be different from a lot of the narratives I hear about the carnivore diet. And I do eat a lot of fat as well, so um, I'm trying to figure out why that is, but I, I actually... Sent a message to to Sean Baker on uh, Twitter, and he, and shockingly he responded, um, and basically just said, "Just eat more, you know, like it just I don't know what to tell you. Just if you want to put on weight and you think you're too lean, just just
0: keep eating." So yeah, it's <laughs> great advice. Great advice. Yeah. Now I'm, I'm I'm curious to learn a little bit more to dig a a little deeper into the into the details of. How how much meat are you eating in a day, and what kinds of meat do you usually eat, and and when do you do you time it? Um, is it something that is you know, sort of three meals a day? More than that, do you have something like a half pound of ground beef as as a meal in a sitting, and um, what does that sort of look like in a more detailed sort of day to day scope?
1: Yeah, I don't really weigh it and things like that. I don't really keep track. Uh, one of the good things about this diet, I thought, when I try to explain to people or trying to convince them to do it, and like, it's great, you don't have to worry about your macros and measure your meals and how many calories am I eating. I'm like, just, when you're hungry, just eat and then stop eating when you're full. It's real simple, but um, I typically eat two, two to three meals a day. Uh, like I said I usually eat breakfast after the gym, which a lot of times will be, you know, a handful of eggs and bacon, or sometimes if I have sausage, I'll make that, or if I have leftover steak or something from the night before, I'll make that with the eggs. Um, if I don't have any meat to go with the eggs, I'll eat somewhere like around like six to eight eggs just for breakfast. Uh, and then if I'm hungry enough at lunch, you know, I'll make, uh, I don't know, I can make like a pound of ground beef. I usually make that into a couple of patties. I like to make them into burgers rather than just as like a ground beef bowl or anything. And I'll eat the whole pound a lot of times for a meal. Um, And then for dinner, uh, if I'm lucky, I'm having steak and I'll eat. Again, I don't really weigh. I'm curious that maybe I should start weighing it just to see how much I actually do eat. Um, I think the one time I did weigh it and really was trying to see how much am I going to eat tonight, I was was somewhere close to two pounds. I ate like 1.75 pounds of steak or something like that. Um, But I was also sort of like challenging myself, like, like how much can I eat right now? Um, (laughs) and I ate, I ate until I, uh, I was full, but one of the cool things about carnivore is your body will literally tell you how full you are. Um, so your food will stop tasting good. Um, and and Dr. Chafee had described this in one of his podcasts and the first time I experienced it, it was so wild. I was eating, eating this meal, I had this massive steak and I was about three fourths of the way through it. I'm like, ah, I can finish this thing. And then I take the next bite. It takes me a little longer to chew it. It doesn't taste very good. You know, just like I finally swallow it and I was like, Oh, that was gross. And I, you know, just push the plate away from myself. It's like, Okay, I can't possibly take another bite of this. I'm looking at it, it just doesn't look good anymore. So I, I found that really interesting because when you're eating the standard American diet, I mean you can just eat forever. You know, with the with the way your hunger signals are with the sugar. Um, you'll finish dinner and then you'll go have ice cream and you know, whatever whatever's around doesn't matter. You'll just keep stuffing yourself, you know? Um yep. I was as of yeah, that as anybody else, so now it's really it's really cool to me that it's my body will literally be like, dude, that's enough, like we're we're good to go for a while.
0: It is super, super satiating. I tried doing a, a week of carnivore a couple of weeks ago and did it with a friend, and he made a point that echoes what what you were saying, where if you're not hungry for meat, you're really not hungry. You no, know, it's yeah. it's more of eating for boredom or entertainment. And that that's such a large aspect of really our entire food system is, is eating for entertainment just to sort of give us some kind of mouth pleasure and, and dazzle our taste buds. And do you, do you miss a lot of – how much do you miss that eating primarily beef and meat? Is it something that you think about often or are the benefits really outweighing the – um, enjoyment of, of the various tastes and textures of, of a more varied food um, experience? I mean, I miss it to an extent,
1: uh, but the, the benefits definitely outweigh it. Uh, but yeah, I, I definitely miss it. You know, going out to eat nowadays is very difficult. I hardly ever go out to eat. I know it bums my girlfriend out because she loves to go to restaurants. And so I'm always like, I, you know, I'll go if you want, but I can't really eat anything there. You know, and she's like, well, I'm not going to eat by myself. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so that's annoying, you know, going out to eat. I find that I have to go to, a, like, a barbecue place is fine. I can get brisket, um, obviously a steakhouse. You can get a steak, but it's not very economical. Uh, the best thing i found so far is the Brazilian steakhouse. Um, just fantastic. They just keep bringing different kinds of meat. <laughs> as much as you want, it's all you can eat. If you've never been to one, you got to go. Um, But yeah, I also, I cheat, I cheat here and there. Um, You know, if I'm having dinner with my family or with a girlfriend or we're out to eat, I won't have a full portion. I won't order it, but I'll, you know, take a little bite off their plate. Like that mac and cheese looks really damn good. Let me get one spoonful of mac and cheese. You know, but I found that I can do that. I can moderate that. I'll have one bite of it just to, just to remind myself, yeah, that stuff is still delicious. You know, Um, but I'm, but I'm able to, to stop it right there and not, Thankfully, it doesn't trigger me into some sort of binge eating where I'm just like I'm off the train and now I'm just shoving my face full of terrible food again. <laughs> but but I, I can I can sort of get that little taste here and there, um, and satisfy that craving, and not worry about getting off you know the carnivore diet because the benefits definitely
0: outweigh you know the food experience. So with the ulcerative colitis that you healed, are you worried about that coming back? Is that is that something that can um come back online if if you were to begin eating less supportive foods
1: yeah I think it definitely will i've I've, I've you know had a couple of experiences already within the six months so in June I went to Jamaica uh, with my girlfriend we went on vacation to an all-inclusive and uh, I stuck to the diet on the on the resort but it was impossible to avoid spices and sauces and things you know everything in Jamaica's jerk chicken and jerk pork and curry goat and And it was all fantastic. But I couldn't just get like beef. You know, they actually very little beef. They they don't have, uh, I guess they don't have ranches and stuff in Jamaica. So uh, most of it was was chicken and and pork and goat. But I I stuck to meat only. But also since being on an all-inclusive and we paid all this money to be there, I thought, all right, well, I'm gonna drink while I'm here. I'll have a couple of drinks a day. I don't wanna waste my money. And by the end of that trip, uh, we were there for five days I was having a full-blown, the last day we were there and flying back, I was starting to have a full-blown flare-up of my colitis. It was back. Um, And so I got back. I I fasted to try and fix it for two days to see if that would help. Um, Didn't help too much, so I did take a short cycle cycle of prednisone, uh, which is a steroid, to get the inflammation under control, and then made sure I went back to strict carnivore. And once I was off the prednisone, which was like a week long, I was right back to being healed again. So... I figured out there, um, not knowing exactly what it was, whether it was the spices, the sauces, the alcohol, um, that, yeah, it can definitely come back. Um, And so it's just the fun of the elimination diet, right? Just figuring out which foods trigger you. And now I'm pretty sure it's alcohol because about two weeks ago, I went to a wedding and I had two drinks at the wedding, um, two vodkas, and my stomach was very unhappy uh, for a couple of days after that as well so uh pretty sure alcohol is a big trigger for my colitis so i'm I'm, I'm off the alcohol train now which is fine but um but yeah it's been interesting and i've I've thought about you know over time you know do i want to try and reintroduce i don't know some kind of vegetable or or a fruit i'll probably start with fruit vegetables are just kind of lame so (laughs) I'd, i'd probably start with fruit but haven't done it yet just kind of enjoying the way I feel now and, and don't really want to risk it at the moment. But at some point, yeah, I'll maybe throw a pineapple or
0: something into the mix and see what happens. Yeah, I do have a friend who's been carnivore for two years now. He'll have some blueberries and honey on days where he's been working really hard and is, is feeling a little depleted from from that standpoint and finds that it's it's helpful. Um, and I was, I was thinking while you are talking about just healing, just the concept of, of healing in general and, and all sort of colitis. I'm curious of a, a couple of things. One, one do you think at some point it will be more healed to the point where you won't have to worry about a flare up, like at a deeper level. Um, you think it'll be kind of completely healed. And, and then two, what do you think cause causes it uh, in in the first place? Yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a
1: good question. I, I think there's, I think there's most likely a genetic predisposition to some of these things. Um, and then I think the environmental factors may trigger that. So I think, obviously, not everybody who eats vegetables and carbs uh, is going to develop an autoimmune condition, but there are plenty of people who do. So why that happens, I, I assume it's some sort of genetic predisposition, and and then that you you ingest all this stuff, and over time the toxins build up, and your body just says, can't take it anymore, and you develop these these conditions. Um, so, I mean, if that's the case, I'm not sure it'll ever be. F- Fully healed. I, th- I think if that's the case, it would come back. Uh, you know, if I continue to eat the the things that cause it. But there's really only only one way to find out, which would be to start experimenting. You know, you know maybe maybe finish out a year on strict carnivore and then, you know maybe blueberries and honey or, or whatever it happens to be. I know there are a lot of carnivores that advocate for fruit. Uh, you know, there's some famous ones on Twitter. Carnivore Aurelius always talks about fruit. Uh, I love that guy's Twitter account. He is hilarious. Um, <laughs> I know, well, what's his name? Uh, Paul Saladino, always advocating for fruit and honey. Um, so there are the folks out there who say that it's fine for you. I just think, you know, maybe it is for them. I'm not so sure it is for me at the moment. You know, I think, I think, I think carnivore is probably the optimal human diet and what we are, at a bare minimum, need to eat. Uh, I think you can probably expand it from there depending upon the individual. I believe that's what Ken Barry's kind of pushing now, is what he calls the optimal human diet. And it's sort of tailored to each individual and what your genetic predispositions might be. Um, and who knows, maybe it's tied to where your ancestry is from. You know, if, if we're talking about eating ancestrally and all your ancestors go back thousands and thousands of years in Eastern Europe, maybe you're only meant to be eating vegetables and fruits that come from Eastern Europe. Maybe that's what your body is adapted to. And you start eating some tropical fruit and your body freaks out you know i mean i'm not i'm not sure but it kind of has some logic to it yeah um, I, i've just kind of noticed we, we we overthink a lot of this health stuff uh, and i think
0: logic really
1: can dictate
0: a whole lot of it um it's true yeah it's true i agree 100 percent having experimented with a lot of different diets to try and find one where my body mind would work in a way that was just okay and i found a lot of it was just logic and also intuition where I know on some level, what is the best next thing to put my mouth and also what is not so good. And and just listening to that and not all these science studies and and all this marketing saying you need mud water. It's got, you know, all these different adaptions and herbs. It's like come on, nobody needs that. <laughs> it's like, that, that's, that's, you know, there's all this really expensive stuff with like, you know, adaptogens from the Amazon, and as if that's better than going down the street and getting eggs from chickens that are outside and in, in your local, you know, by regional area is, is a really wild idea. And, and most people would believe that and, and to some degree, there's probably some truth in that because the the soil in the amazon is incredibly rich and diverse and, and that's going to be giving an enormous amount of nutrition into the plants but the second you take that and turn it into a powder and ship it to another country to a processing center then to like another place to be packaged and then to your grocery store and then it gets <laughs> into your drink like how much is that really gonna be supportive and how much money are you spending on that i mean a lot of people are spending a lot of money on these things to try and get healthy when in reality if they would just go to their local butcher even to the grocery store get a pound of beef and and eat that high quality nourishment it's not heart attack you know well that's a huge
1: problem though because the the propaganda around nutrition that we've had over the last 50 75 years is just unbelievable you know I've I've done a lot of research on that now too and learning about um, you know the sugar industry um, pushing all this stuff about cholesterol and heart disease and coming from coming from meat saturated fats, uh, learning about the Kellogg family and, and everything they did to promote eating cornflakes and you know, purposely trying to lower your testosterone and make you less of a man, making you more docile. And then not only doing that, but also at the same time funding nutrition schools and medical schools to push the same stuff into the education system. I and mean, this stuff is so ingrained now. Um, that everybody I talk to when they go you only eat meat I'm like yeah I only eat meat it's it's great I'm healthiest I've ever been in my life I'm almost 40 and they go yeah but aren't you worried about your cholesterol? It's the first question I get from everybody. And you know the short answer is no. Uh, <laughs> but I have to I have to go into the spiel every time and and it's it's amazing how many people still look at me like I'm crazy. And so now my new thing over the past week I've really just started digging into everything I can about cholesterol. I want to try and become a cholesterol expert so Anytime I get the question, I can, I can distill it down into like a two minute thing. That's just like, these are all the reasons why I don't care about my cholesterol. Uh, You know, so, and I I know my cholesterol is probably astronomical. I I don't have the, I don't have the numbers for the individual LDL versus HDL at the moment, but I donated blood a little while back and my total cholesterol, which they did tell me, was like 430. Um, And I know they tell you if you're above 200, like it's, it's no good. So I was like more than double, what what they say you should have. Um, so I do I do have a my annual physical coming up next month, and I'm gonna talk to the to my doc and see if I can get as many blood tests as I can to run all these levels on my my cholesterol and testosterone and anything else. I'm very curious where I sit now with all these numbers compared to benchmarks, um, and so hopefully I can learn some more through that as well. But but yeah, it's the cholesterol and and all you, you can't eat fat. It's going to make you fat. I'm like, all I eat is fat and I weigh 155 pounds.
0: Like, I think it's going to be okay. You know? (laughs) Yep. Yep. There's so many fascinating things there. One, I love how, you know, you talk about how everyone's like, oh, that's going to kill you. And look at this number, look at this number that we pulled from your blood. Look at this like little piece of the puzzle. Meanwhile, you're experiencing all these health benefits. Right. And it's like, well, what relevance does this little number from my blood, how does this mean anything when my qualia, my, my everyday experience is elevated from from what I used to be? And I was speaking with, um, recorded a podcast episode with with Harry the other day. So he goes by uh, Carney Clemenza on Twitter and part of the meat mafia who are, who are really focused on exactly what you're talking about because they... One of them, uh, Mr. Solozo healed his ulcerative colitis. Very similar stories to you, where they experienced a, a profound healing from the carnivore diet. And, and they agreed. He, he agreed that the saturated fat and the cholesterol really is a keystone um, to the to, to this whole equation. Where if if we can kind of reverse that, then it's going to unfold a lot of understanding about what true health really is, and and how the corruption that spread that idea is is just completely corrupt all the way through. It's it's big business trying to increase their profit from selling uh, plant-based products going all the way back to Kellogg cereal, which is now this multi-billion dollar empire. You've got cartoons on every shelf trying to um, get everyone to eat this garbage as a healthy breakfast. I know I grew up eating that and, and I had braces, I had acne, I was uh, had a lot of anxiety and depression really all for like a decade of my life from, you know, teen, my teen years to my young adult years. And it was it was because of that. And, and no one really knew otherwise. There, there wasn't the idea. So um, I definitely appreciate you standing up for this and, and, and starting to spread it. And, you know, I'm, I'm wondering what, I really want to zero in on what was the kind of like awakening moment for you, going back a little bit, cause, because now you're, you're, you've you're you experienced the benefits, you're sharing online. Um, I know you were listening to, listening to a lot of podcasts, Jordan Peterson, that it, was there a time when you woke up and it was like, you know what, th- this is I've had enough of this, like we're just going to go for it. Um, what was that sort of inspiration, that, that catalyst that catapulted you into where you're at now?
1: Um, you know, sort of all again, went, sort of tied into the COVID thing, you know my, my, uh, and, and my father, so my dad has been sick for a very long time. He's, he's been ill for most of my life, and uh, he's been on medications, all sorts of medications forever. Um, I believe initially he was put on medications when he was younger for his asthma and high doses of steroids and, and different things and when I was young he developed uh, a degenerative bone disease and so by the time I was out of elementary school he had already had two fake hips and a fake right shoulder because these bones just crumbled um, so he's in and out of the hospital most of my childhood life um, and, and health his health just sort of I mean he's doing okay he, he survives but he's got issues Um, He's got problems with his adrenal glands and things like that. So then COVID happens, and I'm looking, you know, what's going on here. And he, the one regret I have with COVID is he did get the vaccine. Um, I didn't say, yes, you should absolutely get the vaccine. But I said, from everything we know at the moment, you are in your upper 60s. You have a million health problems. If the vaccine can indeed help, maybe you should get it. I don't know a whole lot about it. We don't know a whole lot about the risks, but it's the chance maybe you should get it. So he did end up getting it, and his autoimmune condition that he has, which is really rare, it's called pemphigoid, um, flared up just astronomically because of the vaccine. Um, So I watched that happen, and then I learned more about how this vaccine's pretty dangerous. I'm looking at what public health did when I worked there. I'm looking at them pushing this thing. I'm looking at them not advocating for early treatments for people who do get COVID, like they're saying, you can't have ivermectin, you can't have hydroxychloroquine. I mean, even if they don't work, they're not going to harm you, uh, or they can't be any worse than the treatments they are pushing, so why can't people have them? You know, I'm watching the medical establishment fail at every level, almost purposely. And actually, at this point, I do believe it was purposely, but we don't need to go down that rabbit hole. Uh, <laughs> so I'm watching, just looking at all this, okay, this seems to be run by Pfizer and Moderna. They're pushing this stuff. Maybe I shouldn't be trusting these drug companies. And then I'm thinking, well, I'm on drugs. You know, I'm on these immunosuppressants. I'm getting an IV once every six months, and they're pumping me full of this stuff. I don't know what the long-term effects are. I mean, sure, it's working right now to help my ulcerative colitis, but who knows what's going to happen to me 5, 10, 15 years from now. I keep getting this put into my system. So I thought maybe if I can stop taking these drugs, I should give it a shot. And then that's when it kind of finally clicked with me you know, watching my dad go through all that, um, you know, and then he actually did get, did get COVID and had to go to the hospital after the fact, and um, they were, that's a whole other story, but, uh, <laughs> you know, he he ended up going to the hospital 10 days after getting COVID. He had recovered from the COVID. He was fine for a couple of days. Then we have to rush him to the hospital because he gets sick again. We're in the ED, I'm talking to the, to the doctor, and I say, hey, look, he did have COVID. It's not COVID, right? He recovered from it. This is something else. I think it's bacterial pneumonia. He's he's wheezing. He's having trouble breathing. Looks like he has a bacterial infection to me. I'm not a doctor, but that's what I think it is. They're like, no, it's COVID. We know it's COVID. It has to be COVID. It can't be anything but COVID. You know, and it just, just blew my mind. And, th- you know, after they admit him, he's in the hospital three, four days later, guess what they ended up diagnosing him with? Bacterial pneumonia. So, I'm just watching the medical system fail at every level. And I, yeah, I just was like, I got to get off these things if I can because I don't trust this stuff anymore. I just I lost my faith um, in our medical system and in our uh, pharmaceutical system and public health. All, all the, the reverence I had for these industries and institutions just kind of just went out the door. So that was really the catalyst was I got to get off these things. I got to see what I can do to heal myself. There's got to be a way to do it. And then after seeing all the success stories from all you know the, the guys you just mentioned on Twitter and and the people I mentioned before, just success story after success story, I'm reading about it. I'm reading about them and then I had a buddy of mine who said, I did it. you should try it So I was like all right yeah hey why not? So and here I am you know it's it's pretty wild taking your health with your own hand be your own doctor is almost what it is at this point.
0: <laughs> yes be your own your own doctor your own your own force of of healing and man it's been great hearing your story and and seeing how this has unfolded how you've taken your health in your own hands your your own healing and and, and now you're looking to share it to others do you, do you have a larger kind of vision of, of what you want to achieve with with sharing your story or, or being a part of this movement towards a healthier nation and, and a, a better relationship with with our diet do you have a I know you're just starting out on on social media and you're not really into the or you haven't been into social media at all but it seems like now you have you have a powerful story a powerful message to share do you have a any sort of plan or, or aspiration in in that realm
1: I don't have much of a plan I don't really like I said I don't really know what I'm doing on Twitter so uh, I just kind of reply to things or tweet out things that strike me at the moment at, right now but aspirations i would I would love to somehow monetize this, not necessarily through social media, I mean, that'd be cool, but I, w- I would love to to work for, uh, you know, Sean Baker's company, Rivera or, or something along those lines. I would love to be able to turn this into my full-time job. That would be fantastic. I already have the health background. It'll be really cool to be able to, to make this my career, pushing this kind of stuff, reversing the narrative on nutrition, helping people um, fix their health problems through nutrition, um, and also exercise. I mean, I think that's a vital part of it as well, not just eating but also moving your body um, in whatever aspect, however you want to do that, whether it's lifting weights or uh, climbing ropes or whatever it is you do, handstands and things. Um, you know, I'm doing the, the kickboxing stuff now, but um, I, I'm willing to expand all that as well. But yeah, I would, I would love to be able to do that. That would be, you know, ideal. I just, I don't have much of a plan at the moment. I don't know how to go about that. Uh, I don't know how people manage to monetize their social
0: media. It's... Uh, an interesting concept it is it is interesting I've <laughs> I've been watching it so my I I know I know a very small amount of it from watching my girlfriend start um, sharing you know health strategies on Instagram and she's a little under three thousand followers and you'd think well that's not profitable you can't make money off that but it's actually been amazing how much um, these micro influencers have been uh, or at least how much she's been receiving as just like free food from companies and cash to post to post pictures and social media is is definitely really wild. And um, I think if what, what I've what I've found is that just sharing your authentic self and your story, if you're to write about these stories you've experienced, and when you're when you're comfortable doing so, I think that could really be impactful and help a lot of people. And, um, you'll expand and and connect with people from there. And who knows where it goes at at some point. I I imagine there's just so much energy in this carnivore movement in this, um, you know, regenerative farming, beef centric, American, really profoundly american movement towards towards freedom towards independence towards sovereignty towards health towards vitality it i feel it building every single day a little bit more a little bit more people are waking up just a year ago you had you know no idea of any of this really maybe it was on the cursory awareness now you're like fully embodying it and, and you're sharing your story in this on this podcast which is maybe going to reach uh, at least our parents, you know, we'll probably listen to it. Maybe yeah, yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> who knows, but it's like, you know, this is how these things started. They, they get snowballing. They, there's a ripple effect from everything that, that we put out there and share, especially when there's some truth mixed into it. So I, I definitely appreciate you coming on here and, and sharing your story today and, and hopefully inspired some other people. And, and is there anything that you'd like to sort of leave uh, people with who are listening as a departing message or, or anything, anything like that?
1: Um, just sort of build on what I just said You know, be your own health advocate, do your own research uh, don't blindly listen to your doctors and, and definitely don't listen to the news uh, and whatever they're pumping out about nutrition and health um, and just go from there and, and it takes discipline but it's not that hard at least it wasn't for me, I don't know when you think about the benefits you could get versus the cost and the cost is okay, I gotta get rid of sugar I gotta get rid of alcohol I can't have caffeine like yeah, that that is difficult at first but when you when you think about i won't be on medications i'll feel better you could potentially i mean you mentioned you were d- depressed and anxious that blows my mind that you can fix uh mental issues through diet i just find that fascinating um, you know especially now that we're learning that the model of uh, serotonin being the driver for depression not being true and all these folks being on ssris i don't know if you've followed that in the news recently um but yeah, I mean just the benefits outweigh the costs here when it comes to nutrition and it just takes a little bit of a little bit of discipline and anybody can do it. And the best part about it is once you get into it about a month or so, your you're like your palate changes uh, and so now every time I eat a steak, it's the best steak I've ever had. It's really bizarre. It's just it it gets better every time. Uh it cuz your body knows what it wants, it knows what it needs. And so once you get into this thing and you really start doing it, you will not regret it. You won't go back and think, "Oh, I just just wish I could have that mac and cheese." You'll take a bite of the mac and cheese, you'll think it's good, but you won't be like, "Holy crap, I'm getting rid of the carnivore diet because that was so amazing." I'm like, "Yeah, I'd rather have a ribeye," you know. Just, I think anybody can do it. I I just, I just really struggle sometimes with, you know, I try to tell people about my diet, I try to convince them to do it, and they think it's too extreme. So. That's fine. If you don't want to go full carnivore, start out going keto. You know, Keep the vegetables. Keep a little bit of fruit, maybe. But if you can, ditch the sugar, ditch the carbs, ditch the seed oils. Um, Those three things, if that's how you have to start, fine. But start somewhere. Um, Do it for a month and tell me you don't feel 20 times better than you did. I think that's really the message here. Give it 30 days, and I think the results speak for themselves.